Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. God, grant me the serenity to accept things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thy will, not mine, be done. All right, good morning, everybody. My name is Shim. I'm a sexaholic. I live in New Jersey. And as I just said, it is five o'clock in the morning here. And uh, this is like deja vu all over again, as Yogi Berra said. Uh, A couple years ago, I had the opportunity (laughs) to share um, on the SIM conference. And my slot then was five o'clock in the morning. And it's interesting um, as I compare my life today what it was just short while ago um but i think about uh the people (laughs) the people who have been up for like practically 24 hours already almost and um i don't know everyone who's been involved in this marathon uh but i know that daniel um certainly uh needs my appreciation um now the sim conference is this huge complicated uh very fancy and organized uh program a couple of years ago um it was still fantastic but <laughs> it was a lot less fancy and organized it was basically um to my recollection um daniel sitting in that same blue room um for 24 hours um i don't i don't even know what he did and who helped him but i don't know if it was anyone it was the higher power (laughs) that's what what i was thinking Um, it's amazing those were the days before anyone heard of zoom first time i did this a couple years ago i didn't know what zoom was the email and the phone calls trying to teach me what i was going to do and i couldn't figure out why we were doing this zoom thing like what was wrong with skype and uh, and phone and daniel tried to explain to me then like no you don't understand there's this program zoom video conferencing it's so much better than skype and i was like all right leave it to daniel he's into this new stuff and now it's 2020 November and, and everyone knows what zoom is, you know, <laughs> and um, there might even be a couple of you who are wondering what's Skype, um, which is pretty crazy. Uh, assuming that um, not long ago, that's just how we did video conferencing, right. Or Google Hangouts. And, um, and that's just what we've been through with the pandemic. Uh, every kid knows what zoom is. Um, anyone who's gone to a meeting in the last few months knows what Zoom is. Um, I know that along with Daniel, there's, uh, I don't know everyone who's been involved, but I know Gene is very involved and I know Rena's very involved um, and a couple other people because uh, I've, I've seen names popping up on WhatsApp groups and emails. So I just, it gives me an appreciation. You know, I, I belong to a program that is so much bigger than me sitting here um, sharing my experience, strength, and hope. Obviously, at the core, the big book says that recovery happens when one sexaholic shares with another sexaholic experience, strength, and hope. Someone wrote the big book and someone printed the big book, and it wasn't just Bill Wilson. There were people that have been active in service since the beginning of 12-step recovery. And to this day, it's an amazing it's an amazing thing to watch people be involved and to be active. And I know for me, service is a huge part of my recovery. 
Um, I was taught that I put into my sobriety the effort I put into my recovery, the effort that I used to put into my addiction. Um, Dr. Bob in the big book, there's a story in the back of the big book. It's called Dr. Bob's Nightmare. And Dr. Bob says that if I just put in half of the energy into my recovery that I was in the habit of putting into my addiction, he says it's guaranteed. And um, unlike the big book, which says that rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path, they were being very careful there because they knew one day someone was going to show up with a big book and say, ha ha. I thoroughly followed your path and I failed. So they changed the word. They Bill wanted to write, never have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. And they told Bill, you can't write that. You got to change it. So in the big book, it says, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. But Dr. Bob, uh, when he wrote his own story, he didn't really care what people thought. He wrote, it never fails if we put in half the effort that we were in the habit of putting in when we were uh, drinking or acting out. <clears throat> and if you want to look that up, it's on the very last page of Dr. Bob's Nightmare. Um, very, very um, powerful page that helped me and still helps me when I read it. It's one of the pages I like to turn to when I look for um, motivation, when I look for hope. Um, so why am I talking about that? Well, for one thing, um, if <laughs> this is going to be an interesting disclosure, but uh, the reason why I have my virtual background up with New York City in the background is because um, I'm actually um, hiding in a closet right now <laughs> because I went to I had my computer set up in a different room, and when I, as I got there, I could hear my kids starting to stir because, uh, and that's why I mentioned that it's five o'clock in the morning. I'm trying to figure out how do I, how do I, how do I do the meeting, and not have it affect my family. And I realized that in my addiction, this is where I'd be sitting, not in this house because I never acted out where I live now. But, but hide in a bathroom, hide in a closet, um, try to figure out some way that I can make it happen, that I could pull off acting out. In recovery, I try to figure out how to pull it off, how to make it happen, where I could pull off being in recovery. So I look for opportunities. I have a very, very busy schedule. I have a family. I have a job. I have a community. I look for opportunities. Um, and over the years, I've done all sorts of things like buying myself a pocket big book so that when I go to holiday services in my faith community, uh, there are certain times they have, we wear this prayer shawl. So certain times where the prayer shawl will come all the way over my head. Um, and at those moments, I pull out my pocket big book and I read page 417, which I have taped into the back because the pocket big book doesn't go that far back. And I'll read acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. When I'm disturbed, it's because I find some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact in my life unacceptable to me. And I don't know it by heart. And right now, I'm not reading from a big book. I don't know it by heart because I'm smart. I'm not as smart uh, as that. I, I can't quote any other book in the world, but I read it so many freaking times. Um, I have on my phone, and I have, and before I had a smartphone, I had a little flash drive with recovery talks. And when I'm in my car, I will I will play uh, an AA speaker or an SA speaker or an Al-Anon speaker. I've recently been listening to um, an OA big book speaker. She's just phenomenal. So I just I I don't I just listen and I and I'm I'm very picky about my speakers. So within a few minutes, I'll know if I think it's bullshit or not. And I'll turn it off and go to the next one. You know why? Because that's what I used to do when I was acting out, not to get too specific about that. But I would go click next and click next and click next and click next. And it was like I was freaking obsessed, right? I'll be in the car with my family driving home uh, uh, late at night and I'll plug headphones into my phone and I'll, I'll stream a speaker off of YouTube. And my wife will say, how many speakers can you listen to 
and I really want to say like how many people was I able to have phone sex with, but that's, that wouldn't, she's not one of us. So even though she knows I've done the phone sex thing, that would be pretty triggering to her. And it's just like, I really put into my recovery, what I put into my addiction. I do. Um, a couple years ago, when I was asked to do a, a uh, talk for the SIM conference, I, I th I'm pretty sure it was the first SIM conference, but I could be wrong. It was either 2017 or 2018. I don't, I don't remember what year we're up to now, but um, it was interesting because at that point, when they gave me a five o'clock in the morning spot, Eastern time, um, I thought I lost my mind when I, when I said yes. And um, I was, it was like, I couldn't believe that a human being could be up at this time of day or night or whatever you want to call 5 a.m. Um, but I did it for the reason that I said before. I knew that if there was an acting out opportunity, I would have done it. Not only that, but when I was still acting out, um, very often five o'clock in the morning rolled around and I hadn't gone to sleep yet. Um, one particular story comes to mind where I was on the laptop um, um, acting out and um, my wife was sleeping. I was watching, I had been working at the, at the computer that was in my bedroom. So, you know, I'll go to sleep in five more minutes. I'll go to sleep in two more minutes. I'll go to sleep in 10 more minutes and just the next, next, next thing. And then it got so early in the morning so late in the morning that my wife's alarm clock went off to wake her up for work. And I was still sitting at the computer dressed from yesterday. Um, and only a sexaholic could pull this off in like one fluid motion. I had the computer laptop closed and I didn't have enough time to get under my blanket or put on pajamas, but I did, I did, I, I was laying down, with my eyes closed and and act, acting like I was sleeping in the same moment that she was sitting up to close her alarm clock to shut it. And she shuts her alarm clock and then she looks over at me and I'm laying there sleeping, but I'm fully dressed on top of my blanket. And she taps me on the shoulder and she's like, why are you, why are you sleeping like that? And I opened my eyes I was, and I make, made believe she just woke me up. You know how the whole deal goes. I was like, what are you talking about? She goes, you're, you're, you're still dressed. You're not wearing a, you're not with a blanket. And I made, I said, oh, I was just so tired. I couldn't even keep myself, my eyes open anymore. I just, I just collapsed. She's like, what time did you go to sleep? I was like, pretty late. I don't know. Maybe 1.30, 2.30. I don't even know what time it was. And she's like, I'll never understand you, she says. And she gets up and gets ready for work. That wasn't five o'clock in the morning. That was seven o'clock in the morning or six thirty in the morning. So I'm asked to do service at five o'clock in the morning. I said, "Sure, I'll do it." And it was an interesting talk because um, I just kind of, kind of like this morning, got on the line just right as it was about my turn to start talking. And at that time, I didn't couldn't even remember what the topic had been. And Daniel had to remind me, and then I spoke on the topic. But I want to talk a little bit about the difference between my life just a short few years ago that wasn't so long ago, uh, 2017 or 2018, to now, um, in that I actually wake up that time every day. Um, I have a uh, friend in the program, um, a guy named Mayer, who lives around the corner from me. And... Um, Ja this past January, the two of us started waking up at a quarter to five every morning to get together to study religious texts together. And the reason we woke up to study at five is because the local meeting here, the essay meeting is at 6.15. So we used to, we used to um, meet together from five to six um, here at the local synagogue. He, he had access to the, uh, to the combination. He's a board member there. And we'd go in there before Corona, this was so January, February and beginning of March, we would go there from five to six, and then we would drive over to the 6.15 a.m. meeting. Um, and it wasn't even our intention to, to do that long term. It was just kind of 
let's try it out until we find figure out a normal time during the day. But for both of us, we both have families, we both have program, we both have all things going on. And it turns out that our spiritual time to uh, connect in that way is um, just has remained five o'clock in the morning. And that's just what we do. And then uh, obviously when COVID came around, uh, we moved over to Zoom and now we've, uh, we've uh, gotten spoiled. So we, we no longer meet in person, but every morning uh, we meet at five o'clock in the morning. Um, and my sponsor has been on my case telling me that I need a little bit more sleep. For those of you who are on the WhatsApp group, you know that at uh, 12, 12 midnight Eastern time last night or this morning, I was still, I was still messaging on the group. And, and, uh, and someone even private messaged me. Maybe it was Daniel. He's like, Do you, are you ever going to sleep? And I was thinking, coming from Daniel, that's a funny question. He never sleeps. But um, I'll sleep. And I jokingly answered. I said, I said, I still have a lot of life to live. And what I mean by that is I still have a lot of life to live because there's so much of life that I lost when I was acting out. And I really feel like in recovery, there's so much time that I'm looking to make up, so much time that I lost. Like when I have an opportunity uh, to be with my kids, when I have an opportunity to um, make my wife a cup of coffee or take a walk, it's like... I don't take it for granted. It's, it's the big book says, if we're lucky to have a home, if we're lucky to have a home, why should I have a home? Why should I have a wife? I, I cheated on her. I cheated on them. I mean, when I got sober, I only had one son and now I have four kids because the last three were born in the last 10 years that I've been sober, but that's a miracle. And I don't take these miracles for granted. My wife gets anxious when she sees a mess in the house. I see gratitude, not because I'm better than her, but because when I see a mess in the house, I'm thinking the mess in my house uh, what it, by, by, by nature should have been uh, a bunch of pizza boxes and dirty clothing from some pathetic single guy living in a, in a bachelor pad with my, uh, with my breakfast, lunch, and supper pizza boxes around my bed. Um, not to make fun of anyone if that's the way you live, I'm, but, but that's what my life would have looked like. And instead, I have a home that I own with my family on a almost acre property with a pool in the backyard. And, and, you know, and my family wants to know why I get so much pleasure out of cleaning that pool all summer long. I, I don't even like swimming, but I love vacuuming the pool. My wife said she was gonna buy me a, uh, an electric vacuum cleaner for the pool, I, um, a dolphin. Um, I told her that I had no, I mean, I said, that's great. I mean, we could use it overnight, but I like vacuuming the pool. It's like a, when I vacuum the pool, I remember that I'm part of something that's, an, that's a freaking miracle. And I also use it to do my sixth and seventh steps because I look at all the dirt on the bottom and I think those are my character defects. And as I vacuum it, I imagine God removing my character defects. And I was taught to do that, like use my imagination for sobriety. And that goes back to the first thing I said, I used my imagination to act out. I was really good at it actually. I was once in the bathroom and I, um, I was a, probably a teen, I was a teenager, I was in high school. And I didn't have any pornography or anything to act out with. And I remember there were no smartphones or devices that I could bring in. It was a magazines or no magazines. And I didn't have any magazines. So I took out a pen and I drew my own pictures on toilet paper. I mean, that's really using imagination. I'm not an artist. My pictures are stick figures. Like, uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> so the white book says we can masturbate to a blank wall. So in recovery, um, I was taught that on my sixth and seventh steps, use my imagination to, to imagine what it's like when God could be removing my character defects. So when I vacuum my pool, I have this meditation I do. It takes about half an hour to vacuum the pool. And I imagine these are my character defects, and this is what God can do for me. So, um, so here I am a few years later, and, I, and I, it's amazing to me that I wake up this time every day. But that's the miracles of my program. The miracles are that nothing's impossible anymore, and that life today looks for me um, better 
happier, freer, calmer, um, more exciting than I could possibly imagine life could be. And um, because they need to put something on the flyer, Daniel said to me, what's the topic of your talk? I said, I don't know. And he's like, you got to pick something. So I, I kicked around a couple of things. And finally, I said, how about freedom? Freedom and happiness. He said, great. Now, why do I pick freedom and happiness? Um, for those of you who are familiar with the 12 promises in the AA Big Book on page 83, you'll know that the first promise is that we're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. And there's nothing more exciting that I could share than to say that these promises in the big book have come true for me. And the reason I say that is because I know that a lot of people say the most important thing in their um, program is their first step. Like as long as they remember their first step, they're in recovery because they remember being uh, freaking crazy and powerless and unmanageable. And I once heard an old timer um, mention that the most important thing in his program um, are the are the promises that have come true. And um, and I thought about that, and I'm thinking, do I need to constantly be sitting in the reality of my old life of of the fact that I just pretty much from the age of seven. Uh, maybe six when I discovered masturbation, I think seven, because six just seems too young for that. Um, seven, on the other hand, very advanced age. Um, from the age of seven till the age of 28, um, pretty much acted out all the time, with the exception of maybe there was a year, about a year, one to two years, I don't think it was two years, probably a year, uh, before I got married, I had one of these um, spiritual experiences through religion in which I had stopped acting out. And that was the same time that I met my wife. That was the same time I got married. Um, but um, I didn't know at that time that I was powerless and that I was that I had a disease and that um, I could I could I could have uh, a daily reprieve from my disease, but I can't ever be cured. I didn't know all that. I didn't know that the minute I was going to have a, a, my first argument with my wife and feel uh, threatened or feel uncomfortable or feel like, uh, feel like um, feel like I was under attack or self-pity or, or resentment. I didn't know that I was going to be at risk for relapse. I didn't know any of those things. I thought I was cured. So it never dawned on me that, that a few months after I got married, I was going to relapse with uh, with pornography and masturbation at first, and then it was going to progress from there. I didn't know all that, but that, those are all the things that did happen. Um, but other than that year, I acted out continuously, just straight through, from seven years old to twenty eight years old. Um, and I'm one of the lucky ones. I got sober when I was young, but. To be able to say that, you know, the miracles have come true for me. I heard this old timer talk about how those miracle, those promises are what keep him in recovery because he looks around. He's like, this is crazy. What the, the, the beautiful life that I have. And if you're not familiar with the promises on page 83 of the big book, I want to read it to you uh, because this is really, it's an amazing reading. And um, I'm hoping that most of you know it, but I know there are some people on the line who are new um, and for whatever reason, you might not know it. Um, and I do recommend, even if you know it, if you've never read it yourself, please go to the big book and read it yourself. Um, and, and a great way to find where something is in the big book, by the way, is uh, you could start from the beginning of the big book and start reading till you find it. Um, but I'll tell you for this one, it's on page 83 if you want to follow along. It says, if we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. 
that feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. And then the book wants to know, are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. And here's one of those words always in the big book. It says, it will always materialize if we work for them. Always materialize. Apparently, they weren't so afraid of putting that word in there. They will always materialize. And one of the things that I did when I was new, um, especially after a few months and I was struggling and I just felt like everything else in my life, this program was a bunch of bullshit because um, what else should I think? It wasn't working for me. Why shouldn't I think it was bullshit? Everything else in my life, people promised me, oh, do this, do that. This will work. That will work. And nothing ever worked for me. So uh, obviously, here we go. Another program that has great promise for me and doesn't deliver. So I didn't walk around asking people how long they were sober. I walked around. I want to know these promises because we used to read them at the end of the meeting. I wanted to know these promises that that promise that they'll always materialize. I want to know, have they materialized for you? Have they materialized for you? Have they materialized for you? And one after another, sober people who have been through their steps could look at me in the eye and give me actual factual information of how the promises have been materialized for them which is why I love speaker meetings. I love speaker meetings because I get to hear in a general way what it was like, what happened, and what it's like today. And that gave me hope. The hope was that maybe maybe there's something different here. And I kind of had this hunch that if I was ever going to get sober, and if I was ever going to get well, and if any of this freedom and happiness and, 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 and serenity and peace and calmness and and, and, and freedom from fear and freedom from confusion, if any of that was going to happen for me, somehow I had this hunch that it was going to be here in Sexaholics Anonymous. So I still am not sure exactly how much hope I had. But I know that at one point I was convinced that I had lost all hope, even when I was in SA, because I was still struggling. But obviously something kept me coming back. And I couldn't have been completely hopeless because if I was completely hopeless, I wouldn't have even come to meetings anymore. I wouldn't have even made those phone calls anymore. I would have not continued looking for sponsorship anymore. Obviously, I had some hope. And I think the hope was that I could see people telling the truth about the promises that they had a good life. And I really, really wanted a good life. I really did not like the life I was living. I was, um, I was, I was depressed. I, my, I was separated from my wife. I was living in my sister's basement, exactly the way I described before. No sheets on my bed, uh, not sleeping. And it wasn't because I was doing service for SA. It was because I was watching movies all night and porn all night. And, and it was just a disaster. My wife would have to leave to work and I needed to come watch my son. And I was supposed to drive from my sister's house to my house. And my wife would be calling my sister's house because my phone had died and because I was using it to call phone sex lines. And, and then my sister or one of her daughters would have to come down and knock on my door. And it was just so embarrassing. And, and life was as unmanageable as a life could be. And today, these promises, because I am, not was, I am painstaking about this phase of my development. And what is that phase of my development? And I know almost everyone will tell you this phase of our development is the ninth step. And really they're right. That is where these promises are in the big book. They are after the ninth step and they're called the ninth step promises. But I could just tell you my experience. For me, this phase of my development were the 12 steps. I was amazed before I was halfway through, which means before I was even done step six, I was amazed. These promises started coming true for me in my sister's basement where slowly but surely I was learning how to become a human being again, all by myself, just working through those steps. One morning, and I tell the story, and I might have told it last time, I don't know, but one morning, 
I woke up and by this time I, I was sober already. I was going to meetings already. I was, I was working through my steps already. I may have already been sponsoring people. I don't remember. I think I was. But one morning I woke up in that basement. There were sheets on my bed. The room was clean. My phone wasn't dead. And it was one of those eerie silences, you know, like when you like oversleep and the rest of the world has been up and about for a few hours already. And you're like, oh, shit. And it's like pfft, 10, 11 in the morning. And it's just like that quiet of the stillness of oversleeping. It was that stillness of like, oh, I know this. I overslept. I screwed up again. And uh, I looked at the clock. And it was like five to six. Remember, I told you the meetings here are at 6.15 in the morning. So that was what time I was supposed to wake up. Maybe it was 10 to six. And I'm thinking, that's weird. What is this weird quiet? I had no idea what this was. And it was uncomfortable. And in that moment, I realized that, I, that this, this silence, this was serenity. For a moment, there was no noise in my head for the very first time in my life. There was no chatter. There was no screaming. There was no arguing. There, there was no figuring out things that are going to happen 20 years from now and trying to figure out what happened 20 years ago. It was just quiet. I said, oh, my God. And the first promise that came true for me in these were um, that we will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. And mind you, a lot of that chatter came back. The next day or later that day, he's, that's why I say that when it says, if we are painstaking about this phase of our development, I don't say I was painstaking. I say I am painstaking because I don't stop being painstaking about my 12 steps. I finished my steps and I go back and I do them again. That's just my experience. I have a sponsor now. We're going through the steps again. I don't know if it's, our, it's my third time through, if it's my fourth time through. I don't really care what time through it is. It's my only time through right now. And the way I see it is if my first time through the steps got me so much that I was able to get sober and I was able to get freedom and, um, and peace in my life, then the next time through the steps, why can't I get the same progress? And my experience is that I did. And if I, my second time through can get me that kind of progress, then why would I not want to do it again? And I feel sad when I hear I've met people who have dropped out of program and, um, and not often, because usually those people don't like talking to someone that they remember from program. They try to avoid me. But every so often, I've spoken to them. I've seen them. And and I've heard people say, well, the program helped me so much. It got, it got me, it set me down on my feet. And to this day, I'm so grateful to it. But it gave me whatever it could give me. And there's so much more to life than just not acting out, they say. And I think to myself, they so missed it. I'm so sad that they that they missed that the steps are not about lust. The steps are about life. The big book says um, in the fourth chapter, when it talks about we agnostics on page 45, it says lack of power. That was our dilemma. If we were going to be successful at, in program, it says we were going to need a power with which to live. And it needed to be a power greater than ourselves. It does not say we need a power with which to be sober. It says we need a power with which to live. And for me, this program is not about not acting out. It's about living life. It's about having God in my life wherever I go, whatever I do. Asking God, like Harvey told me years ago, that before a meeting or before anything I do, just say, God, can you please talk through me? And then I never have to worry about what I say after that. A few people asked me what I was going to talk about this morning. And I said, I don't know. I have no clue. And people think I'm joking when I say that. I'm not joking. The white book says we talk from the heart. The white book says in the back where it talks about sharing at me, it says, don't prepare, don't prepare your share. Now, I'm not saying anyone who was on the SIM conference who prepared did the wrong thing. You know, to, to thine own self be true. We also have a lot of people on here who are, who are looking for experience, strength, and hope. And they're not, and they're not, you know, to get up here and just start stuttering and saying nothing is also not respectful to people listening. But I know I came on here this morning and we took a moment to silence and I said the serenity prayer. And in my mind, I said, God, you speak through me and, and I allow you to give the message that you think needs to be given today. So when I hang up, I've gotten really today, I got, I've gotten really good at not obsessing about what did I say? What should I have said? Should I have said something differently than I did say? It's whatever I need to say. I'm living 
I found a power greater than me with which to live, with which to make decisions. I could bounce things off my wife. I don't have to be defensive. You know, yesterday she asked me my opinion about something. I gave her my opinion about it. Then she argued with my opinion and I realized, ah, she didn't want my opinion. <laughs> she wanted to hear her opinion. And I laughed and I said to her, you didn't want my opinion, did you? You just wanted to tell me yours because I told you mine and you argued with it. And she's like, yeah, but you know, before, uh, before I went through the steps, I never could have said that I either would have had a fight with her and yelled at her, or I would have just shut my mouth and felt shut down and, and shut, but I didn't feel threatened by what she did. I was just present in the moment to figure out what was happening because it's a new freedom and a new happiness. And this is the last thing I want to say about freedom and happiness. And this is really, really important. Um, I had this conversation with Harvey in 2000 and I'm going to say, I'm trying to remember which convention it was. It wasn't Chicago because I was only sober about two and a half weeks then. Um, I think it was in Irvine, California in 2011. Um, I was sober six months and uh, I was with another guy and the two of us were talking to Harvey. I think it was during lunch, which is pretty funny because we were talking about anal sex. That's a real good lunch topic. Um, and Harvey said to us and to me, he said, the reason why the promises say that we're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness is because if we are holding on to trying to find a replacement for acting out in the steps, we're going to be very disappointed. As, as, as thorough as our fourth step is, it's never going to feel like sex. It's not like somebody finishes their, uh, their fourth step inventory, you know, and my, and my father was screaming at me and my, this, you know, my boss is a jerk and wow, that was the most amazing experience. No, you, you know, as, as shameful as I was when I acted out, there's something, and, and, and in his language, it was, there's something about that orgasm that's physically pleasurable. My fourth step is never going to feel that way. So if I have this great joy of eating apples, he said, and now the doctor tells me I can no longer eat apples for some reason, I'm allergic to them and I still want to eat fruit. So I start training myself to enjoy oranges as as long as I'm trying to have an orange taste like an apple, I'm going to be very disappointed because oranges don't taste like apples. And I'm going to prevent myself from appreciating how delicious an orange is. It's a whole different fruit. It's a citrus fruit. It's got a pill. You got to pill it. You got it, 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 it. When you bite into it, it sprays its citrus all over the place and it has a different smell and a different texture. There's an orange is a fantastic fruit, but as long as I'm trying to have it taste like an apple, I'm going to be frustrated. And in, in the promises, it says we're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. It's not the freedom of being able to just act out whenever I want. It's a different freedom. In recovery, it's a much more structured freedom. It's a much more uh, obedient freedom. There are have tos. There are musts in the program. There are things that I need to do if I want to have a good life. And it's a new happiness. It's not the happiness of, wow, I, I get to act out with this person and that person and watch this porn and that. It's a new happiness. It's, the, it's, it's a more peaceful happiness for me. And I'll just finish off saying that um, one of the ways that I, that I held on to, to, with patience for the miracles to happen, because I, there are times now in my life where I cannot believe life can be this good, that life can be this happy. And I, and I think to myself, how did that happen to me? How did it happen that I get to have such a good life? And I hear people on the sim or, or at meetings who are sober double my sobriety. I hear people, you know, I, I asked the guy at 25 years sober, I said, what still happens? Because I'm at 10 and I can't believe life could be this good. But I know that the guys who are at 20 and 30, they're double and triple as happy. How could it be? So what I heard someone say once is that in acting out, in the beginning, it was so much fun. And over time, it got worse and worse and worse. In recovery, it starts off so shitty. And if you're like me, the first few weeks and even the first few months of sobriety was so much pain and so much, there was nothing in those moments that were keeping me going except the knowledge that like, I, the appreciation that I had a sober day, but that sober day did not feel good. It's not like not acting out was pleasurable. Not acting out was painful. 
my body hurt. When I was at that convention in Chicago at two and a half weeks sober, I thought Friday night at that convention, I couldn't sleep. I thought if I don't act out, I was going to die. I was pacing the hallways of the hotel in Chicago, not knowing, I didn't want to watch porn. I didn't want to call phone sex, but I didn't want to feel the way I did. And thank God there were other six sexaholics that were still up at two and three in the morning. And a friend of mine found me and he took me outside and he opened a pack of cigarettes. And I'm not saying this is the way to stay sober, but we chain smoked an entire pack of cigarettes just and i believe that that saved my life that night i was going freaking crazy it was either act out or jump off a roof that's what the beginning of sobriety feels like but but over time it gets easier and it gets easier and then over time the 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 miracles and the promises start to grow and and it's the opposite of acting out acting out gets worse and worse over time until there's no almost no pleasure left and only pain and in recovery if i do the steps and i do this program over time the pain gets less and less and the pleasure gets more and more and that's where i'm at in my life today so that's the topic. I'm going to stop it here because I know we're we're only a, a little less than 20 minutes till the end. And, and I do love the question and answer part. Um, so th- thank you for letting me share. Thank you for letting me be of service. Thank you for the people who are doing service for the sim. Thank you for all the people that I've listened to. I've listened to some amazing speakers over the last 12 hours. Um, and with that, I'm going to pass it over to the question and answer section. Thank you. And it's, it's actually been over the last 22 hours, 22 and a half hours. And it's been incredible. What did um, I say? 12. Oh, I'm sorry. I meant 20. <laughs> I don't know what time is it? Over the last 22 hours. Um, and it hasn't been incredible, Daniel. You have been incredible. And 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 thank the Lord for people who do service for Sexaholics Anonymous. If you are in this program and you would like to feel more a part of, trust me, do service. Do it for your meetings do it for at any level just do service and you will see that it will change your program okay let's do some some questions and you are a testament to that if we're we're throwing compliments out all right let's hear it testament to that yeah why because your service is also incredible i and i and i see i see what goes on under the under, under the uh under the surface as well a little bit i don't see all of it of course but it's amazing what you do um that's true and you know what's amazing about program is that I don't have to have the false pride and say, oh, no, that's not true. It is true. That's 100% true. And I'm proud of it. And I was proud. And I'm grateful for the people that taught me to do that. Because one of the things I did, like I said, I went around to people with sobriety and I asked them what they do for their sobriety. What did they do? And everyone had a different answer. But there's certain things that all the old timers said. For example, all of them do step work. And all of them told me they do service in some capacity. So let's yeah. do some questions. All right. So we have a question from um, from Ireland. Uh, he like really liked the idea about using your imagination for recovery uh, rather than using it for making fantasies. Can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah. Just in the last year, it occurred to me that um, that God gave me this imagination to use, and He gave me this great. Uh, this great use of of fantasy and i and and i used it to act out but there are so many ways that i use it in a in a spiritual way in a fantasy way i mean let's um, let's just just let's just take the most easiest that comes to my mind excuse me right now when i'm not sober and there are other people who are sober when my life is crap and, and, and other people have the promises of freedom and happiness in their life, I'm already using fantasy to imagine what life might look like sober, what life might look like when I'm, when I'm, uh, when I'm recovered. What do these promises might look like? Imagine what it could be like to wake up in the morning and not have your brain screaming on the inside. Well, for where I was at, that was fantasy. But that was a good fantasy because it allowed me to say, maybe I could work towards something. Anyone who has dreams or goals, you're using fantasy. When I sit at night, one of the things I'm really good at is I tell my kids stories. And the same way I come to a meeting, even if I'm the speaker and I don't prepare, I know that if I prepare, my stories are going to be crap. My kids say, tell me a story. I say, sure. I just start talking and I have no idea what's coming out of my mouth. I'm, I'm as enthralled as they are. Once upon a time, there was a crocodile. 
Now, that, what I just said, that was not in my brain. I just said that, right? And I just start talking about how this crocodile, and I give the crocodile a name. You know how many, how many years of practice I have for making shit up in my brain? But they weren't crocodiles. Let's not get too explicit here. They were usually women. And they also had names and they had lives and I had these full blown affairs with them. They didn't even exist half the time. I made them up. So in recovery, I could do the same thing and I could use my imagination in that way. Um, when I do meditation, you know, just yesterday I did an, I did a med meditation on YouTube. I like the meditation for kids because they just seem so much easier and simpler. But if you, if you, if you uh, Google meditation for kids, there's some really good ones. And this person was talking about, they wanted me to close my eyes and imagine a mat, imagine a magic wand and anything that I, and I, that I put that magic wand on, that's where my focus was going to be. And I was going to be able to surround that thing with great light. And in my, with my eyes closed, they were having me put the wand on people I love and put the wand on dreams I have and put the wand on. And then they put it on my head and imagine my head getting calm and put the magic wand on my feet and my feet getting calm. That was a mad, there was no magic wand. That was the power of my imagination. So that's what I'll say about that. Thank you so much. Um, and the next question. Um, he, yeah. He, so he wants to know, he or she wants to know, I always have the idea that with anything good that will come to me, there will always be something bad that will come just after it. And that keeps me always in fear and afraid to enjoy anything to help. Yeah. Yeah. Work the program. Um, so we have this thing in program, uh, it's called stinking thinking. And um, now that I come to think about it, I haven't heard people talk about stinking thinking lately. But years ago, the meeting I used to go to, people would talk about their stinking thinking. Um, and we have old ideas, and we have old ideas for a reason. The big book says on page 58 and 59, when, when it's introducing the steps, it says it has a couple of paragraphs of prerequisites of things we need to do, we need to do. If we're going to be successful, one of the things that it says is we had to let go of our old ideas. We had to. And we have old ideas for a reason. They, we have them because most probably anything good in your life probably came with a price. Anything good in your life probably came with the bad. And it's like, for me, it's this fear of, of, of some horrible thing that's going to happen. In my case, it wasn't so much that the good comes with the bad as much as, first of all, I'm not going to be successful at it anyway. That was my negative thinking. And why should I get sober if I'm just going to relapse anyway? And it's going to hurt even more. I may as well just, you know, get this over with now and go watch the porn now. Those are all justifications and rationalizations and excuses because I want to watch porn now. So I come up with stinking thinking excuses. Oh, I'm going to act out anyway, that future tripping. Logically, the answer to that is, well, if I'm going to act out anyway, then wait till it happens. What do I have to happen today? When it happens, my wife will go to hell in a handbasket then. Why, do, why does it have to happen today? And you know what happens with that kind of thinking? One day at a time, if I don't act out today, then life hasn't gone to hell in a handbasket yet. It will, but not today. It will, but not today. You know, in the beginning, I used to fit, uh, uh, recover that way. I don't recover that way anymore, and I don't know when it changed. I don't know when I actually got the trust that, you know what, who said life has to go to a hell in a handbasket? Who said I have to die drunk? But when I was new, I didn't believe that this was going to be real. I didn't believe that it could be me. I couldn't be a guy with a couple of years of sobriety. I couldn't even be a guy with a couple of months of sobriety. I couldn't even be a guy with a couple of weeks of sobriety. I didn't stay sober that day because I thought this was going to be day one of 100 days or a, or a thousand days. I stayed sober today because I said, you know what, if I'm going to die and go to hell drunk, let it be tomorrow. That's how I, that's, I said, let me at least have one good day before I pull the sky down on my head. And I, I learned the hard way that one day of sobriety is a very, 
very useful and powerful thing. So if you're scared, it's going to come with bad things. So then say, you know what? Bad things will happen, but they're not going to happen today. How do I know? Because today I'm going to be close to the program. I'm going to do whatever I'm up to in the step work. I'm going to sit down, even if it's just for a few minutes to do something related to the steps. I'm going to go to a meeting if it's possible. I'm going to absolutely call my sponsor, come hell or high water. I don't care. The same way I absolutely acted out before I got sober. I absolutely call my sponsor in, in the program and I make phone calls and I'm and I'm close to the program in the middle of sobriety. And if the if the good things never come, then you'll be able to say that you proved the program wrong. But I dare you to get through all 12 steps and not have a spiritual awakening. I dare you. Because if you get through all 12 steps and you don't have a spiritual awakening, you'll literally be the first person I ever met who could have that experience. Everyone I've ever met who finished all 12 has said that they've had a spiritual uh, awakening as a result of these steps. Wow. I love it. Um, I think we're probably, we have an amazing question that very much, very much likely might take us towards the very end of our session and the end of channel A. And we're all going to be going to channel B shortly. I'll be sharing the links in about 10 minutes. Here's the question. I'm having trouble staying sober. Is there a time where I should throw in the towel to let myself hit rock bottom to obtain the freedom that you've talked about? Yes. Yes. You should have done it already. And if you haven't done it, do it now. I heard a, I heard a, uh, another speaker on the sim. I can't keep track of who said what, but someone said, um, okay, now I'm thinking it might've been on the WhatsApp group. But anyway, someone said that if you're struggling, then you haven't even done step one because step one says we admitted we were powerless over lust. So if I'm powerless over the lust, what the hell am I fighting for? Think about that. It's like, what do you mean? You want me to give up and just act out? No, I didn't say give up and act out. I said give up thinking that you're going to keep yourself sober. I was two years sober, maybe two and a half years sober, and I went through such a bad spell of lust. It was one of those times that I think everyone with sobriety, with long sobriety, if they look you in the eye and they're honest, they'll tell you that they've had times in their sobriety where looking back, they probably should have reset their sobriety. You know but you know that old should I, shouldn't I obsession, thank God I haven't had it in a long time. But let's be honest, there's no such thing as perfect and I was going through one of those such times where for a, for a long time after that, I didn't share a sobriety date at all because I was so confused. And, um, and I was talking to my sponsor and my wife was freaking pissed to hell. Like uh, it was it, it, I within our marriage, when we talk about it amongst the two of us, um, I refer to it as my relapse. Um, and, and that's not the topic for now, but what one of the things that happened to me then at two and a half years of essay sobriety, what I was calling myself two and a half years sober, was I realized that no matter how good a job I was doing in the program, even with even working the steps and going to meetings and making phone calls, I just still seemed to be powerless over lust. And I got to a place of hitting bottom where I realized that powerless means powerless. It doesn't mean powerless, but if I do this or that or the other thing, I figured out a way how to keep myself sober. If God doesn't make a miracle for me today, I will not be sober today. I'm not a binge luster where I stay sober for a few months and then, and then, ha and then go on a binge for a few weeks and then go stay sober for a few months. I'm a daily luster. I lust every day. And because my drug is lust, which is between my ears, I'm not just a daily luster. I'm, I lost every day, all day. By the time I got to SA, I was lusting every waking hour of the day. That doesn't mean I was looking at porn every hour or masturbating every hour or, or, or objectifying some woman every hour because I wasn't always in front of a computer or on a telephone or looking at a woman. But in my head, I was every day, all day. And I came to the realization because what happened at that time is I got on my knees one morning. This was, uh, I don't remember the date, but it was February of 2012. I got on my knees one morning and I said to God, I don't know what else to do. Even if I work my program, I, I, I still feel like I'm powerless over lust. I, I cannot just eradicate lust from my system. And I just said to God that day, you know what? If you don't keep me lust free today, I'm screwed. This is on you. I'm willing today to do whatever it takes. And I was 100% sure in that moment 
that I will lust unless God made a miracle. And I was 100% sure that within the next, if I don't lust today, I'll lust tomorrow. 100%. Even, even if I wasn't masturbating or watching porn or calling phone sex, but just the lust in my system, I knew I just, I, I was not one of those people that was going to have lust-free sobriety. And I really was serious when I, 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 and I didn't realize at the time that I was doing a new, a new first step and a new third step by giving my, just giving it to God and saying, this is on you. And at the end of that day, I went to sleep and I thought about my day. I was like, oh my God, there was no lust in my day today. No lust. And throughout the day, I was willing when lust presented itself or when my head told me that it was time to no, today I don't want to. And that day I checked in with people in the program every single hour through text, through phone call, just let them know how I was doing. Obviously, if I was in the middle of something that hour, then it was the next hour. But as soon as I saw the clock strike, whatever it was, I checked in with people. And you know what happened? I did this every morning and I realized somewhere in the middle of March, I hadn't taken an action of lust in 30 days. And I was at the Wednesday night meeting that day. And when they did the chips, there was a chip meeting. Is anyone sober uh, 30 days? I raised my hand. And people didn't know what was going on because I was sober two and a half years. And I said, 30 days ago, I got on my knees. And I didn't say I want 30 days. I just said, I want, I beg God for a day. And till today, that hasn't left me. When I go to sleep, when I went to sleep last night, I thought to myself about my day yesterday. And I said, holy, you know what? I didn't lust today. That's crazy. That's a crazy freaking miracle. And the last thing I say every night when I go to sleep is thank you, God. And I would tell you that whether you're sober or not, train yourself. The last thing you say every night, every every night when you go to sleep or whatever time you go, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for my day. Not only because you're sober, even if you're not sober, you know how many things happened in your day today that you could thank God for? You're breathing, you're living, if, you, if you're healthy, if, you're, if you've got food to eat. There's so many things you can be grateful for. And all you can think about is if you are or aren't sober, that's a little dishonest. What about the gratitude for all the other things in your life? And a, and a grateful heart doesn't act out. You know that? Train yourself to be grateful and connect with your higher power when you're drunk. And that will help you stop being so drunk. That's my experience. Um, do we have time for another uh, question or are we out of time? Are you guys frozen? What's going on? Yeah, no, my um, my connection was funny. We can squeeze the last question in. All right, um, give me 60 seconds. I love questions. When I try telling people how I let God come into my life in my ears, it sounds full of pride as if I'm taking credit. It's not true because it's all God in there. How do I know the message they get is the right one? All right. All right. This doesn't need more than 60 seconds. Okay. You have no right to keep that to yourself. And I don't care how prideful it feels. It's none of your business because your sobriety is a gift. And if, and, and if it sounds like you're being arrogant, let people judge you for being arrogant. Someone out there needs your experience, strength, and hope. How do I know? Because I needed people's experience, strength, and hope. And if the old timers and the people who were sober would have been too humble to tell me the truth about how amazing their life is, I wouldn't have had anything to hold on to or for hope. So today, when my life is amazing, I have no right to keep that to myself. There are things and accomplishments in my life that I keep to myself. I share with my wife, maybe. And, and I know that those are gifts from God. But my sobriety and the beauty of my life and the, and the success of my life, I know that I, I'm sober because I worked my ass off, not because I slept in my bed and woke up with sobriety one morning. And I tell people, here's how beautiful my life is. And you want what I, want, I got, do what I did. You know how many people I sponsored who gave up on me before we even finished step one? They're like, what's wrong with you, Shim? I say, what's wrong with me is this is how I did my first step. I am a sick sexaholic and I did a thorough first step and a thorough second step. And if you don't want to do that kind of work, find a different sponsor because if you want what I got, do what I did. I, it, I have no right to, to rob people of my experience, strength, and hope. Thank you, everyone, for allowing me to share my, my experience now, with you. I'd like to add to that. I've gone to newcomers' meetings where I want to control the situation, and people, are, uh, and, and people put their hands up to share to the newcomer, and I'm like, oh, my God, this message that this guy is going to get. But you know what? I'm not running the show. God is, and they're getting the message that God wants them to get right. at the end of the day. I, my job is to just give over the message and let go of the, let go of the control of what message they're going to receive. Um, anyways, thank you so I much. Thank you, everyone.
Can we, can we end with a serenity prayer? I was going to say third yeah, step, but 559. Let's do the, the serenity prayer. We're going to do that, yeah. And then I'm just going to give some information about the last hour. Go ahead. Okay. God, grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change. The courage to change the things that we can. And the wisdom to know the difference. Your will, not ours, be done. Thank you, guys. Thank you for letting me be of service today. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.